Hey there, this is James, your host of TextGen. Today, I'm going to invite a special guest named Cliff Simon from Carabiner Group to join us for a discussion on RevOps. Now, if you're not familiar with the term RevOps, basically what that means is it's all operations kind of forward-facing the revenue via sales or marketing. Really popular right now with uh, companies, particularly subscription-based for SaaS companies, to de-silo marketing and sales and have a... Uh, maybe a CRO or a RevOps leader lead the charge for revenue so that all revenue uh, systems and uh, people and teams are moving in the same direction, uh, looking at the analytics, uh, really de-siloing, if you would, sales and marketing. So Cliff and I are part of a RevOps community together. We both work in that space. We both love and serve nonprofits. And when I was just talking with Cliff about uh, his role at Carabiner Group, the nonprofits he's worked with, implementing Salesforce, some of his work there. I thought it would be a great guest to have you uh, have for you today on TextGen. So let's get started with Cliff Simon with Carabiner Group. I hope you enjoy today's episode. Hey, welcome back to TextGen. This is your host, James, and I'm excited today to introduce you to Cliff Simon. Cliff, how are you, sir? I'm doing well, James. Thanks for having me on your program. You bet, Cliff. Glad to have you here. Hey, listen, you and I were talking recently, and you were talking about your role with uh, the Carabiner Group helping nonprofits implement Salesforce the right way. We talked about some of the pitfalls and some of the uh, things that we should consider, I think, with any CRM, particularly with Salesforce, right? Uh, So I thought, hey, there's an idea. Let's bring Cliff on and ask him some questions about Salesforce. So here we are. Yeah, so what do you want to ask me? So, Cliff, you know what? I have a lot of questions for you. Before I get there, why don't you tell the audience a little bit about who you are, your background, and what led you to uh, doing the work that you do today? Yeah, sure. So, uh, my name's Cliff. I am the VP of Sales and Revenue at Carabiner Group. We are a hyper-growth Salesforce consultancy startup. Try saying that five times fast. Yeah, um, well, why you uh, high-growth sales consultancy startup. Did Close. I say it right? Oh, no. Get them good once. <laughs> um, but we're an eight-month-old company, uh, born out of the pandemic, remote first. Um, my role here is business development, sales. I also handle content marketing, operations, do some of the finance, and I also manage our partnerships channels. So okay. a couple things. Uh, basically, everything in the company that's not the actual consultants doing the work. Got it. Okay. All right. As far as my background, I've spent the last 10 years in B2B sales, both in the mid-market and enterprise segments. Uh, spent the last seven years in SaaS and the last three and a half in fintech. So it's been a really fun journey getting to see how things work. Um, I've been in a management role before, and, and in that particular instance, I was doing a lot of the rev ops kind of function. Yeah. So it's something I have a passion for. I like process improvement. I'm very process oriented. I think my sales team appreciates that a bit, even though there's lots of reports and dashboards. Mm-hmm. Um, as far as my background itself, uh, when it comes to the passion for nonprofits, I really involved with my church from a young age and just saw the benefit of serving and being able to give back into the community and to others. So that's something that was really pushed into me from a young age. Um, I, I think it's, it's great. I did tons of volunteer work when I was younger, missions trips. Um, yeah whether that was domestic or abroad. And I feel I feel like in most of the situations, I got a lot more out of it than I actually ended up getting, which is crazy. Yeah. It seems to be the way that it, it works that way, right? Um, yeah, yeah. 
but as a company, we we actually have a nonprofit that we sponsor. My uh, my boss, our managing director, has his own nonprofit that he sits on the board of, called Michael's Way. So that they work with uh, children who are the victims of domestic violence in the Bay Area. Okay. And we do a decent amount of work with nonprofits, you know, at a discounted rate to be able to offer them efficiencies in the way that they're operating within Salesforce. Yeah. Cliff, I love it. So a couple of things that you said, I just want to make sure our audience kind of unpacks is you said RevOps. So let's get a working definition of RevOps. When I say RevOps, what do I mean? So RevOps, I guess, might be a slightly newer term for a lot of folks out there. Typically, you might think of it as operations, sales operations, marketing operations, customer success operations, where the SaaS, you know, so the software as a service world has really taken that is that anything that touches revenue from a business standpoint and operations are being funneled together so that all of those things are becoming aligned. It's allowing for better business continuity and for emerging of resources so that you're able to do more with the tech stack and the personnel that you actually already have. Got it. Okay. So it's really, it's all things focused on revenue operations. So, you know, that would be sales, marketing. I know in the past, a lot of those have been pretty siloed, right? And I know we're talking about nonprofits here, but that would be like donor development, marketing communications, uh, events, you know, philanthropy. So uh, Exactly. All of that in the past was typically siloed into into separate people. They were not communicating. They weren't able to share that data back and forth. And now because you're utilizing tools that can give you that capability, pushing all of that together so you can figure out, hey, if I have this donor on my list, how can I get that person to come and support another part of my particular foundation or where else can they get? And typically people are very interested in being involved deeply with the organizations that they partner with. So by offering that data to the entire subset within the organization, you're usually able to see better gains from a monetary standpoint or from a service standpoint, people being involved. Yeah. You know, it is amazing, you know, if you think about it, Cliff, when you, when you, you know, remove the silos between communications and just marketing or, and, and, and uh, donor development or, or in this case, you know, like sales and marketing, like it's amazing how much clarity you have with that data. Yeah. I mean, you get a lot more insights. It would seem as to what's actually working when you complete that loop. Do you find that to be true? hundred percent. When you're only looking at a part of a picture, you, you never know what, what's actually going on. It's, it's like the, the old story or analogy rather you got three different guys trying to feel an elephant and each one of them describes a different part of it so differently, but they're, mm-hmm. they're only seeing a piece of the whole. Yeah. When you're able to take all of that data together and look at it from those multiple angles, holistically, you're able to get a really good understanding of where you are. It helps from a forecasting perspective, a budgeting perspective, mm-hmm. and lets you know where your weak points actually are as opposed to where you think they might be. Yeah. Now you mentioned that some of this is fairly, you know, newer, newer way of thinking. But and you also said software as a service or SaaS. Why do you think technology companies, subscription-based companies like SaaS companies, are really focused on revenue ops? Like, what do you feel like works for them? And then let's draw parallels to the nonprofit world. Yeah, I think the reasons that they're pushing so so aggressively into the rev ops, that unification space, is because they're trying to do more with less. There's a bigger demand from investors and venture capitalists to make sure that they're getting the most out of their investment. Yeah. Um, most of these companies from a founder standpoint have really tight um, or very strict uh, definitions as far as what success looks like so that they don't lose more equity. You know, there's usually year over year doubling, right? hundred percent yeah. growth is required. If you don't hit that mark, you're probably giving up another five to 10% of your company. Yeah. So 
if they can invest those resources less into, re- into the operation side of it by enabling them to do more with what they currently have by opening up those lines of communications, maybe they can focus more on creating a better product or mm-hmm. more on selling or more on marketing to actually drive leads or drive revenue. Yeah. I think no, that's great. So that, yeah, that makes a lot of sense to me from a SaaS we're, perspective. That's we're seeing it on the nonprofits. So yeah. on the nonprofit side, yeah. you see, especially I, we work with a lot of universities right now. Okay. Um, in, in that space, they're having huge contraction when it comes to events, but the place that they're seeing big growth is around advocacy with their donor base. Okay. So these donors are very responsive and understanding the fact that there's not like, this big revenue influx that these universities typically see. Um, but now you're, you have people from different departments who typically own their donor, sharing it with the rest of the university. And they're able to actualize more funds because that donor is like, oh, well, if you, they may, might be an arts person, right? And they're they're donating to the art program at the college. But now that they realize that there's a need, maybe uh, within the English department or within the music sure. department, and they were typically more into like, sculpture, um, we're seeing that kind of of advancement where just by sharing a couple of those data points and reaching out to that donor and letting them know what's actually happening within the university, they're they're, they're very responsive and very apathetic or empathetic <laughs> empathetic yeah. to to, uh, to the needs because they're not bringing in money from events. Yeah, got it. Yeah, and see, and, it, and I think that's brilliant. I know we're just working on a blog post now at Rally about the power of reoccurring giving and what nonprofits can learn about the subscription model, especially when it comes to laying a base of consistent, you know, donations, kind of kind of normalizing your revenue, so to speak, right? Yeah. Um, and a big part of that is to build systems, it, sa- it sounds like, and de-silo, de- I know we're kind of using that term a lot, but break down the silos between departments so that they're working at one cohesive unit. And, and they're all focused on revenue, top line, right? Growth, whatever that yeah. looks like. So the other thing you mentioned, Cliff, that I want to just make sure our, our listeners hit on is you said something about dashboards. Uh, I know a lot of times we throw around like KPI or key performance indicators, but what kind of dashboards are you seeing um, and kind of, or let me ask you this question: How are dashboards fit into this conversation of of, uh, of working in a cohesive unit? So typically, again, those things would in the past would be designated for individual contributors or like a manager, but none of that was really being shared outside of the organization or within okay. other parts of the organization. Maybe an executive was being able to look at that, but now what's happening more and more is people are tying in the efforts of marketing. So the folks on the front lines trying to drive that lead gen to what they're actually bringing in from a dollar perspective. Okay. So no longer is it just about how many people they're touching, but what is that actually looking like from a revenue perspective and what are they actually bringing in? Like how are they earning their, their paycheck, right? Okay. Same kind of thing on the nonprofit side. How can we tie the efforts of our admissions team to actual bodies and seats? Or how are we able to take a look at the folks that are managing our alumni base to actual revenue dollars that are coming back to the um, back to the institution? Got it. Okay. So it's really identifying what's working so you can do more of what's working, or maybe not even what, but who's working. Like, and, and then and drill in to say, hey, you know, Cliff, when we put him on a you know, on a, on a campaign or a program, he's performing really, really well. And we know that because we've defined success and we're measuring against that. Is that what I'm hearing you say? I think that's really important, but I think the part that's even more important than that is understanding what's not working. Uh-huh. When, when you, when you can figure out the things that are, are your actual pitfalls, the things that are the time sucks that are pulling resources away, 
it allows yeah. you to focus on things that are being beneficial for the business or for, yeah. in this case, a nonprofit. Yeah. And I know it doesn't always hold 100% true, but it seems to me that 80% of our income comes from 20% of our efforts. And if we can find where we're getting waste and then put, as you, you know, maybe the analogy is putting more gas in the right engine, right? Yeah. <laughs> so I don't yeah. know. Break it down here, but you get the idea. Like, how do we, how do we drive more towards that that 20% to drive a significant growth? Is that, is that right? That's 100% correct. Good. So, uh, so you talked a little bit about your experience with with churches and some missions and, and work there, but love to l- learn a little bit more about the the man named Cliff and, and your background. Like, what 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 brought you? Um, like, where'd you grow up? And tell us tell us about you uh, personally. Sure, I'm a, I'm originally from the Netherlands. Uh, I was born oh, in nice. Amsterdam. Uh, moved to the states when I was about three. Grew Correct. up in New Jersey. I've been involved in life here in New Jersey ever since, other than a, a little stint away for college. Okay. Um, I love soccer, love hockey. Um, <laughs> I don't know what else to tell you. Um, I'm married. My, my wife and I have a, have a little one-year-old boy. We've got a little girl on the way in August. So nice, congrats. Uh, yeah, bought a house this past year, so we're incredibly blessed. Um, yeah. yeah, life is good. I love it. So, uh, Cliff, as you have you worked with these organizations like your churches and, and different roles, what do you feel like? You know. What have you seen them do well, uh, like really, really well when it comes to either member engagement, you know, uh, you know, community engagement, like what, what's worked really well for you in the, from your observation? Yeah, I, I've, I've seen a couple of different things, both occupationally and like just in my personal life. Um, the, I'm in a very small church right now. The church yeah. I was at prior to this was far larger and the one before that even bigger than that. Um, yeah, sure. It is, it's very interesting to see the different level of dynamics when you have a ton of resources and they're being executed well versus people who are have a large member base that don't necessarily have all the resources, but they're trying to get there versus yeah, sure. uh, a team of small folks who are just bootstrapping it because they're trying to be as thrifty as possible because they're sure. small, right? And you never know. Think one family leaving or two families leaving could have a huge different uh, effect rather on, on yeah, the sure. bottom line for the year. Sure. Um, what I've noticed a lot with churches is typically that ops role is very difficult to fill. It, you, it takes someone of a professional nature to really do it. And you can just make so much more money in the private sector, right? Yeah. The, the folks that we bring on board on average, a Salesforce administrator makes $92,000 a year. You're not going to get that working at a, your local nonprofit. Yeah, no. Right? So it's it's hard to always find good, solid talent that's going to be there that can lead the charge from a strategic and, and uh, operational standpoint. Sure. I think that's one of the hardest things. Um, there's always good people that have big hearts that are trying to do the right thing. Um, what I've noticed is that they're most successful when they're implementing something that's been proven, when they have executive sponsorship to get that done and they're getting buy-in from everyone throughout the organization to whether that's employees whether that is the the executive team or the actual members um, within a church or within a nonprofit, right making sure that all the cohesive pieces are pulling together in the same direction and following that makes such a big difference yeah you know, Cliff, and that's absolutely right. You know, I, I, as you know, I do some 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 uh, fractional work, which is code for part time kind of service with nonprofits to just help them get systems set up. Because I, what what we like to do is connect people with organizations that they believe in that they want to serve, in either a volunteer capacity or a part time capacity or in a consultant role. Uh, it sounds like some yeah. of the work that you're doing. 
so they can really get that expertise because I think what our listeners, if I could get one thing through to the organizations that I'm even involved with, right, is that, look, you you really can invest in these things and see results if you're clear on what success looks like and you're laying down those dashboards and those those systems, you know, but you're bringing in expertise will get you there a lot, lot faster. Uh, bringing in someone that really can help you get there. Would you agree with that? Or kind of what do you, what do you see on, on that front? I think having, having that directional guidance is super important. Mm-hmm. The other piece of it is a lot of the times, well, I, I've seen this happen time and time again, is people come in, they've gotten really good passion. They're trying to get something done and they, they make a, a gut buy or um, they're not necessarily thinking about how everything works together. And now you've got spend in areas where it's being either redundant or it's not being utilized effectively enough where that spend really could have been utilized better elsewhere. And especially at a nonprofit where funds are typically tight and you have to do as much as you can with very little. So making sure that you have the tools that can really empower you to go as far as you can with that dollar are so important. So having somebody that's seen it and done it before, as opposed to trying to go it on your own, just totally lends itself to better results. Yeah, no, I, I hear that. Yeah. And I, and I always tell people like, look, you can take the next 25, 30 years and figure it out on your own. Uh, read, you know, three, 400 books and, you know, take these classes and I'll send you the list of books and the courses and the, and the, you know, the, the, the yep. hard knocks, or you can hire someone that has done it before that can really walk you down that path and shape, save you a whole lot of heartache and trouble provided they're, they're clear on what success looks like, clear on their stated objective and goals and that you've agreed to the outcome and, and they're being measured and accountable to that outcome. They have to be accountable period. And that, that's the hard thing, right? Uh, in, in my world, which is Salesforce consulting, there's just such a glut of work, right? Salesforce went from being a $3 billion company to a $17 billion company in three years. Consultants yeah. come and go. They just do it, you know, give you a very tight SOW. They do the SOW to the letter and don't really care about customization or helping you out. Sure. And then they're gone and they take your money. Um, I think that's where we and other consultants like this have, have picked up the mantle and said, no, we want to partner with people for the long term and mm-hmm. offer accountability, offer the ability yep. to learn your business or learn your instincts and learn what you're about, what your ethos is, and actually build something out that matters that pertains yeah. to you. Um, Makes sense. I, I, I would just wish people would, I wish more people would do business that way. Yeah, no, I love it. That's absolutely right, 100%. So when you think about the Salesforce and how others are using it, we talked about the consultants and the need for expertise, but what are some of the ways that you see them using it in a more creative way? Like how are some things that you see recently that you're like, hey, these are you know some instances of it being used the right way? Yeah, so we're actually doing a really large nonprofit rollout at the moment. Um, it's the second largest uh, collegiate athletic association in the country for uh, but I think we're doing it for about 60 users. We're doing a nonprofit um, service pack for them. And then next to it, we're building out a community cloud for 1,100 users. This okay. is going to be utilized by over 520 universities and colleges nice. where they're going to be passing back and forth athletic information from coaches and athletic directors. And it's going to save them a lot of headaches. Right now, they've got a really manual process. And this is something that I think a lot of uh, nonprofits deal with where they're taking in all this information Maybe it's coming in via email, maybe it's coming in via paper, but there's no way for them to accurately deal with all of it, right? It's very manual. They have to put it into the system. Mm -hmm. Instead, we're sending out forms and collecting all this information, tying it back into Salesforce, 
And then okay. anytime a form needs to go out, it's automatically being generated through Salesforce. So nice. that instead of having to collate PDFs and this, that, and the other thing, you can click a couple buttons, merge it all together, send it out the door. And uh, any signatures on that are all legally binding. Um, you know, we have a full audit trail, um, holds up in court kind of thing. So like, trying to find those manual processes where we can then take it and drive those specific efficiencies. Good. Okay. Awesome. And and you felt felt like you know that's a large scale, but on a smaller scale, what do you find also? Like obviously, no matter what size, there's probably inefficiencies, right? But how do we tie those inefficiencies back to generating more more revenue, more more uh, more donations? Like obviously to fund fund the work that we're doing. Like what are what are some ways that you're seeing them take those efficiencies and drive more to the top line? Yeah. So in that exact kind of instance, right? Typically, it takes a lot of time to to manually put those packets together. Now you're saying them out faster. The more you get out there, the more you're seeing them come back and return. Uh, um, on, on the other side, it's trying to drive efficiencies for the people that are actually working within the CRM. Sure. If they're spending less time in there and it's a more linear process, it's easier to onboard your volunteers to get them to do the work in there. It's, mm-hmm. It takes them less time to learn it and do it. Um, so you're, you're, getting, you're gaining just by, uh, by gaining time. Mm-hmm. You can't get more time. The more time that they're spending in front of folks talking, the more time that they're on the phone with donors, the more likely they are to bring in more dollars. Yeah. So it sounds like it's time efficiency. And then what you said earlier, it's also really, uh, it's about knowing what's working and what's not working, right? The more the more data and one cohesive system you have, and that's a big challenge with any organization, but nonprofits, I know sure. we're specifically plagued with it, but we have all this data, but we have no insights. So, you know, it's just, it's hard to, to know where to start, but to start with just really understanding your process and your funnel, your revenue operation, so to speak, uh, you can begin to then, as you said earlier, identify what's not working and then drive more m- m- money to either fix it or focus on what is working. Is that right? Exactly. And dashboards are a great place to do that. Like you had mentioned before, very visual. I and mean, my rule of thumb with the dashboard is if I'm looking at it and I can't derive some type of new learning within 15 to 20 seconds, it's not worth it. Got it. Okay. Right. It has to be effective. It has to be. It has to give me an idea of an, of an action that I can take immediately and, yeah. and walk away with something. So, so fifteen. That's what we do. Yeah, inside in fifteen to twenty seconds, you said, and then something that's actionable that I can actually do something. With. What do I walk in? Like walk, to, you know, come into the dashboard with an expectation what you what you want to walk away with. Is that right? Exactly. Okay. Yeah. Perfect. I love it. So Cliff, in all these installations you've done and the work you've done, where do you feel like organizations, we talked about what's working, but what's not working? Where, where can we see some improvements? I think, and I hate to keep harping on the same thing, but manual processes are, are the biggest time suck. It's, it's the area where you can put the least amount of money in and get the biggest return on investment. Okay. And while we do the same thing with our financial services clients. We're seeing efficiencies increase anywhere from 75 to 90%. Okay. And... Yeah, we, we work with some legal clinics and uh, on the nonprofit side again. And again, just being able to offer them a way to be able to pass documents back and forth between them and, and their clients, getting NDAs in place or whatever legal things need to be done from uh, like settlements or uh, divorce cases, what have you. Um, being able to yeah. walk through that very quickly allows that legal person who's donating their time, that, that lawyer is donating their time to get through the cases and actually get to the meat of it with that a lot of time and then talk to the defendant or talk to the person that they're working with um, and, do, and donating their time to, as opposed to spending all of this time trying to go through documentation together. 
Yeah, it makes it seems like they're a lot more effective, probably a lot less frustrated, and 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 in the end, a better experience for everybody involved. Yeah. Yeah, and that's the idea, right? Because ultimately, yeah. you're trying to serve the client. Cool. Well, Cliff, you know, my favorite question, we're going to wrap up here in a minute, but one of my favorite questions of all times is what do you wish somebody would have taught you when you were younger and pertaining to the conversations that we're having, or it can be something completely out of left field, but what do you feel like uh, if somebody has said, hey, Cliff, as you're starting your career, consider this, uh, not so sure younger Cliff would have listened to older Cliff, but what would, uh, what would you have said anyway? Wake up 20 minutes earlier. <laughs> I love it. 20 minutes earlier. Why is that? Uh, younger Cliff was habitually 10 to 15 minutes late for work. Okay. So uh, and even though I did, even though I did great work, it, it probably left a, a bad taste in some folks' mouths over the years. Yeah. So, uh, I love it. That, that, uh, that would be, that would be my number one thing. My wife yeah. would agree. Yeah. I totally appreciate that Cliff. It seems like, you know, and, and I think what that, what that leads itself to, it was a question of, and if I were coaching Cliff, I'd say, Cliff, you know, what do you want out of your day? What do you want out of your life? And then how do you, how do you get there, right? What, what, what can you, what's the one thing you can change tomorrow morning that would set you up for a success that would be different than what you did this morning? And it sounds like waking up earlier is a great, a great word. I love it. I'm going to write that Still down. Still working on it. Still, yeah, I'll get Still up. Still working on it. <laughs> Still working on it. That's right. We all, we, we've never arrived, have we? <laughs> That's uh, great. No, not, not this well, <laughs> So Cliff, uh, Carabiner Group, I know we're connected on LinkedIn. I know you're part of the texting community, but what else can we do to get in connect, touch with you? And, and kind of how, do, how does one uh, uh, take a conversation with you further, Cliff? Yeah, you can reach out to me at cliff at carabinergroup.com. Our website's carabinergroup.com. I'm on LinkedIn. I'm on Slack on a bunch of different channels. Um, yeah. Well, God, Cliff, Cliff, Simon. Cliff Simon on Instagram. It, it's a business account yeah. as well. So I was going to say Cliff Simon with two F's and one M, right? Is that is that right, Cliff Simon? That's correct. On yeah. LinkedIn. And then, of course, if you're part of TextGen, you can find them there. So just uh, swing by. Uh, it's rallycorp.com slash TextGen, I believe. T-X-G-E-N. And then uh, fill out the form and you'll drop into the group and you'll find Cliff there. Easy enough. Awesome. Thank All right. So well, Thanks. hey, Cliff, any closing thoughts here as we wrap things up? Um, not too many. Just keep your data clean. I think it's yeah. it's difficult to do anything well when you've got dirty data. Um, and invest in your people. Just treat them well. Yeah, I love it. Keep the people clean and invest. Or keep the people clean. That's funny. Keep the data <laughs> clean and invest in your people. You know what? While you're at it, clean your people, right? And, uh, and uh, Tonight's bath night, so my son will be nice and clean. Yeah, I didn't get up 20 minutes earlier, so then maybe we can maybe we can pay attention and get what you just said right. <laughs> All right, awesome. Cliff. Hey, appreciate you, my friend. Thanks again. Bye, guys. Thanks so much. Bye. Well, that's a wrap. Thanks again for your time today, Cliff, and joining us for TextGen. Now, I hope you got something out of this session together. If nothing else, just the thought of really implementing processes and systems that uh, can help you scale. And then to look at revenue operations as a way to potentially de-silo your different groups, be it major donors, reoccurring giving, development programs, marketing, communications, anything that's really forward-facing into your donor base, into your marketing, communications, and development roles. So that is a wrap here today on TextGen. We look forward to seeing you next time. Thank you again for listening, and we wish you the very best and brightest in the upcoming week. Have a fantastic day.